Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is Emma Reevey, CEO of the Trussell Trust. Emma Reevey, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thanks very much for having me. It's lovely to be here. I'm delighted you've joined us. Now, you are the CEO of the Trussell Trust. That's correct. What is the Trussell Trust? Very good question. Uh, we support a network of over 1,300 food bank centres across all four nations of the United Kingdom, and we support them as they distribute three days of emergency food to people who've been unable to afford to buy food themselves. And we also campaign together and advocate for a future where there isn't a need for food banks and um, to bring an end to the need for food banks entirely. That is, well, that's hugely encouraging to hear. Now, Trussell, the actual name Trussell, yes. who, who was Trussell? Betty, Betty Trussell was Carol's mum and she left a legacy um, to, the, to um, Paddy and Carol in terms of helping them to set up the original food bank centre. So the name is in honour of um, Carol's mum. That is amazing. That, that, that seed money that was sown. Yeah. I mean, look how much fruit that has borne. Emma, could you give us more of the facts? Because you're much more aware of the facts than I think most of us are. <laughs> what, what are the facts, the statistics? What is the situation, uh, particularly in the United Kingdom, which is where you're mainly working? Sure. Um, so obviously, during the pandemic, things um, have got worse and we've seen higher numbers of people needing to turn to food banks because they haven't had enough money to, to feed their families. But it's important to note that this was happening before the pandemic and we were seeing record numbers of people coming to food banks before the pandemic hit. And in fact, over the last five years, we've seen a 128% increase in the number of people coming to food banks. But last year, we provided 2.5 million emergency food parcels to people in crisis and just under 1 million of those were to children. People in crisis, okay. Um, explain that a bit sure. more, unpack that for us. How do they get into that situation? Yeah, so I, w w in terms of how somebody's referred to Food Bank, we work with frontline referral organisations. So in order to access uh, one of our food banks, somebody will have been referred by potentially a citizen's advice worker or a housing officer. So somebody who in the course of working to support them and has identified that they don't have enough money for food. So key is that we are particularly supporting people who can't afford and um, food and that's how somebody's being referred to a food bank and um, we've we've carried out some research with Harriet Watt University into the state of hunger in the UK. We really wanted to understand, rather than just accept year-on-year -year increases in the number of people coming, we wanted to understand what was driving this and, and how could we then focus on the solutions to stop people having to come for emergency food. Uh, and what our research shows us is that the, the reason people are being referred to food banks is because their, their, level, is, their level of income is extremely low. So on average, the average household income of somebody coming to a food bank is just £50 a week after housing costs, which is very, very low, about 13% of the average national income for somebody. So, so on that, Emma, yes. so you're saying once they've paid their bills, mm. they've only got £50? Yeah. Not just bills, once they've paid just their housing costs. So out of that £50 a week for the household has to come utility bills, council tax bills, school shoes, 
new school shoes for kids with growing feet and food. And so what we're finding is that our, our research showed us that 94% of people coming to food banks are experiencing destitution, which is not being able to afford two or more of the key essentials like heating, clothing, sanitary items that people need to survive. Um, and that's just not right. But, but, but the UK is the fifth largest economy in the yeah. world. Absolutely. So how is it that we have got so many people who are not earning sufficient amount? How is that possible? It's, it, it's exactly the question to be asking. How is this possible that in our country that is so affluent on paper, there are so many people not able to afford essentials such as food? We know that for, for the majority of people coming to food banks, the main source of their income is through social security. And we turn to our social security system as many of us have had to during the pandemic. When we lose our jobs, when we become unwell, when for some reason we're unable to work. And what we're finding and what we're hearing from people coming to food banks is that social security is paying insufficiently in order to enable um, people to be able to afford the essentials. And there are particular groups of people who are disproportionately overrepresented in food banks. And that, um, for example, two out of three people who are coming to food banks, two out of three people coming to food banks have a disability and many have multiple disabilities. So we're seeing that's, that's a significant, three times more likely to be in a food bank than represented in the general public. So if you removed, Emma, I'm trying to get my head yeah. around this. If you removed the Trust or Trust mm -hmm. and other similar cha charities that yeah. do similar work, what would all these people, they're all destitute. Mm -hmm. No one else is helping them. I think there there are a number of charities that are supporting, but that's, that's insufficient. What what I hear from our food bank volunteers all the time is that like emergency food parcel is just a sticking plaster. When you know that the person sitting across from you is un is, is unsure how they're going to pay their electricity bills, is feeling insecure about their housing, an emergency food parcel feels insufficient in that context. So even with charitable endeavours and 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 we know that that is insufficient. We have people, citizens of our country in too high numbers, unable to afford the essentials, um, possibly because they've lost their job or because they're too unwell to work or for some reason are having to rely on social security. For us, we, the, the, what we seem to be saying as a country is in response to that, the mass distribution of food aid in the fifth richest country in the world is acceptable. And, I, and I, I actually don't think when we think of it like that, that we do think that that's acceptable. We don't want to be a nation that is handing out 2.5 million emergency food parcels in response to financial crisis. So, so those that are destitute and needing a, um, to use the food bank, to, can you explain to us uh, what is the process? How does that work? So pre-pandemic, what was a really important characteristic of every food bank in our network is that to create a safe place, welcoming place where somebody could come in once they've been referred and, and have a cup of tea and sit and share a cup of tea with a volunteer and just have some space to breathe and, and chat. At the same time, other volunteers would be going and organising the emergency food parcel. So somebody knew that when they left, they would at least have three days of emergency food to, to support their families. 
But also within that context, many of our food banks would be offering through that chat to signpost to other services that might start tackling some of the reasons that had forced somebody to have to come to a food bank. Within our food banks, we also co-locate other services so specialist welfare advice we know can help maximize people's income because often it's very complex to navigate our system and not everyone is getting everything they're entitled to so we would have those services co-located obviously during the pandemic things changed very rapidly frontline referral agencies closed overnight um, our centres, because they're in church halls and community centres, very hard to keep them open in a COVID secure way. And so being able to get people access to emergency food, for many of our food banks, over half of our network moved to home deliveries, where we would deliver food to people's doors. Others moved outside. I was speaking with one of our food banks yesterday and they, they've kind of located outside of the centre on picnic benches so they can still meet with people and, and have a conversation. But Every, for every number of food banks we have is a slightly different variation on how they have adapted to ensure that their services didn't stop during the last year. And Emma, other people came and assisted and supported. And I gather with, is it Home Deliveries, British Gas helped? Yeah. Tell it was us incredible. about that. I, I have to say there was a point um, in early April where I wasn't sure we would be able to keep going. I just couldn't imagine. So if you think uh, many of our volunteers were older and therefore many were having to shield. Many of our centres were small and so being able to host people in, in those centres was tricky. Food that we distribute had disappeared off of the shelves so people couldn't donate that food. Um, in the last two weeks of March we saw a doubling in the number of people who came to food banks compared to the same period the year before. So logistically I was thinking this is not, this is not doable but the general public step forward and by hook or by crook they find ways of, of supporting us and partners like um, for example Gary Grant who heads up the entertainer toy store called me and says I've got a warehouse what can I do can I help at the same time um, Tesco were saying they were they were donating significant amounts of food to us but not from their sh stores because that's not where the food was but they would be able to get it to us from their depots if we could find a network of getting that food to our food banks um, through Gary, XBO, their logistics company, offered us um, support. And British Gas, their furloughed drivers, called and said, what can we do? So we managed to get food from Tesco's um, in, into the entertainer, packaged up by the team there, taken to 20 locations around the country by XBO. And British Gas drivers picked up. They were tearing shelves out the back of their vans to fit the food in, got it to our food banks. And then many of those British gas drivers also helped our food banks to take it from the food banks straight to people's front doors. It was just extraordinary. That is extraordinary. Amazing. And how many meals do you think you delivered? So we know over the year, 2.5 million parcels and there's roughly um, 10, 10 meals per parcel. Per parcel. So that's a lot of that's a lot of meals so and i mean that's an encouraging story that's are amazing. there any more personal stories uh, that you can just tell us of families where the food parcels had a, an, an amazing help there's 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 lots of stories that i've heard from from our food banks about um the fact that um it, it came just at a moment 
where people were, were really worried, they were not sure what they were going to be able to do. And I think um, for, for many families who had been able to work and it just disappeared overnight, this was a very new experience. Um, they'd never had to access a food bank's help before. They weren't sure how to access it. In that first few months of the pandemic, 100,000 families who'd never been to a food bank before had had to access our services. And so repeatedly, time and time again, I've heard um, from people who've come to food banks that um, this was a, a lifeline in a time of, of extreme crisis. And I think that's that's in, in, encouraging that we were able to be there and that our food banks were able to be there in the, those moments. But what I hear as well from our food banks all the time is this this shouldn't be happening. No. So, we're, um, Emma, we're actually talking about poverty. Yeah, we are. It just doesn't seem right for the fifth largest economy in the world yep. to be in this situation. Yeah. So what is the solution? So we need um, to call upon government at all levels to ensure that we have a social security system that's there and that is fit for purpose and that catches us. It's not, it's not an unreasonable expectation for us to have of one another um, that if we are unable to work, that our social security system holds us until we are able to work um, or for the duration of the time that we need it, holds us above that level of destitution, ensures that we have enough. Uh, and the thing to remember, like for, for many people, it feels like this, is, this can't be fixed. It's awful that there's so many food banks, but I can't quite see how it can be fixed. 10 years ago, food banks in our network distributed just 60,000 emergency food parcels. Last year, it was 2.5 million. Yeah. This is a new thing. Policy decisions that have seen significant cuts to social security over that period of time were decisions that have been made and they are decisions that can be changed. And we need to believe fundamentally um, that these things can be changed because then we can advocate for that and we can bring about that level of change. It, it's not about food, it's not about access to food. We see food around us all the time. Food bank use is about people not having enough money, and that we can that we can do something about. And do you feel that you are being listened to? I believe we have during the pandemic had lots of opportunities um, to have conversations, and we have seen the government respond in tremendous ways. The furlough scheme had a huge protective factor in terms of preventing. We know that only four percent of people who came to food banks over the last year were on furlough. So furlough was holding people at the right level, above finding themselves in a situation where they couldn't afford essentials. Um, we've seen significant investments in local welfare assistance. We saw a £20 uplift to universal credit. These are all great things. The problem is they are being framed as emergency support. Yeah. And food banks were seeing record numbers before the pandemic. And so what we're now starting to see is come the autumn, the £20 added to universal credit will be withdrawn. So families on the lowest incomes will lose £1,000 per annum. Furlough will end. Our local welfare assistance scheme that has seen an investment during the pandemic, that's due to end. So what we need to do is a government who have responded in significant ways during the pandemic, and yet we've seen so many people coming to food banks, we need to look at putting in place long-term plans, a plan to end the need for food banks. 
So unless significant changes take place, Emma, uh, you are predicting that the situation could be worse yes. come the, the winter the time. Year. Absolutely. I think when you see, we know um, um, that the figures coming out from the OBR that we're likely to see an increase in unemployment towards the end of the year. As furlough is withdrawn, the likelihood is we're going to see those numbers increase, which means more people moving on to Social Security. And as a result, we, we, we imagine more people um, finding themselves without enough money to be able to afford the essentials. So it's it's alarming that that is happening at exactly the time when we're going to reduce the value of working age benefits. Um, so yeah, we're, we're very concerned. But you're, you're speaking as loud as you can to Absolutely. government. We are, and we would, we would call on, on everyone to do the same. We, I think what we've learned during this pandemic is that we can change the way we live and the way we work in huge ways in order to protect one another. And I think that gave me like extraordinary hope this year when I saw like people's willingness to sacrifice and change to protect other people. We need to continue that forward. And we need to say actually, as we come out of this terribly dark moment, what, what, what do we want for our country going forward? Do, do we want a situation where millions of people are unable to put food on the table for their families? Or can we have a different type of society going forward? And I think if we ask of our elected officials what we've seen is they respond. We can bring about that kind of change, but I think it will require, require all of us together to, to request that and to ask for that, that level of justice. I was very encouraged when you said earlier, how many number of churches are now supporting you? So over 12,000 churches in some way or other, whether that is through housing a food bank centre, providing volunteers or food or leadership or financial support or prayer support. It's just extraordinary. The, so, the level so of that can increase. <coughs> and um, for anyone listening uh, now, Emma, um, church leaders and churches, yeah. um, what would you say to them? Um, I would say that the Food Bank Network is an extraordinary manifestation of our call to show love and compassion. Um, but as, as, we, as we read in Hosea, we are called to maintain love and justice. So how can we as a church community be asking questions around why is it that we need a food bank in our community? as well as in continuing to provide compassionate response through providing emergency food, how do we ask those questions around why are the structures in our country leading to a situation where we're needing to have a food bank and how can we together end the need for food banks in our country? And, and I would encourage you, our ministry, the Philo Trust, we're doing our little bit uh, to support the Trussell Trust. And I would encourage you uh, to find out more uh, about the Trussell Trust, the, the websites um, on the screen and, and see what ways you can help and support at this time. Um, Emma, I, in my reading, I read that the values of the Trussell Trust are compassion, justice, community, dignity. Four yeah. very powerful words. Can you just unpack those words for us? Absolutely. I, I, I find the power of, 
of our values uh, every day has an impact on how we make decisions and how we work with one another and they were developed together with our network we we talked about what were the values that motivated our everyday work in our food banks and, and our work at the center in in trussell trust and so compassion is 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 about um how do we how do we extend that love in a safe space, sitting in solidarity with somebody and, and, and providing that emergency food, which at that point is the thing that somebody needs the most. But how do we also, as, as we are called to, challenge those structures that are causing people to come into food banks? And I think for me, justice is, is really a, a, an important one for us to focus on. We're called to ensure that the way we structure our society is, is just and so that compassion for an individual but that that requirement for for just structures that tension between those two I think is is really powerful but, and, but how do you change unjust structures that's the challenge yeah, isn't it, is. it? it is it's it, it is it's so difficult but I think it starts with knowing what justice looks like and it starts with calling out what is actually happening in a situation uh, and I think it's it's about that's why we put such an investment in research and in speaking to people and understanding what is actually happening here and I think as a nation we believe in compassion and justice that's that's something that's really important to us and people don't like things that are unfair and that have uh, and that seem wrong and so I think by being able to articulate what's actually going on those structural injustices and an example would be we know um, that when you move on to social security your first payment on universal credit which is our benefit system um, is delayed by five weeks so you've reached the point where maybe you've lost your job you don't have a source of income and you have to wait five weeks for your first payment something that was structured in to the system. So why why would that have been structured in, Emma? Yep. Because that doesn't make sense, does it? So it doesn't. How, what are you going to eat in five weeks? Exactly. The, the rationale for why it was structured in, it would be good for people um, who have been paid monthly in arrears. And that's true. If you were paid monthly in arrears and you've got your last paycheck that will carry you through that four weeks and one week of admin, that works. Many, many people are paid daily or weekly um, cash for the, for the shift they've just completed. That, that, that five-week wait is, is immeasurably long. It's unbridgeable. So then you look at the response within the structure to that after we had campaigned about the fact that that five-week wait has led to many more people having to come to food banks. We now have a situation where you can get a loan from the government to bridge that period of time. But we know from our research that half of the people who are coming to food banks, so coming to food banks because they're unable to afford food, are in debt to the government, are repaying those loans to the government, which is leaving them with not having enough money. That's structurally thought through and built in injustice within our system. We can, we can call that out, we can tackle that and we can change that. So I think it's about knowing and finding out where injustice is present, calling that out and fighting to change it. Wouldn't it be amazing if the government expressed a year of jubilee and cleared that entire debt? Be, be extraordinary. I think we have to ask, is the reclaiming of those debts um, the right thing to do? when our citizens are unable to afford 
essentials that we all think are essentials, surely that can't be right. Absolutely. How, how do you, um, Emma, and I know you've got 200 other colleagues yes. uh, within uh, the Trussell Trust, um, h- how do you cope um, emotionally? Because uh, this it must be draining. Mm-hmm. How do you cope? I think I, I, I think about our food bank volunteers actually and staff most because I think when you're sitting speaking to people, and they're telling you their stories and there's some things you can do to support but you know there's other things it's very hard to support with and we so we at Trust Trust have actually developed some support structures for volunteers around that that compassion fatigue the the the, the draining of constantly being faced with situations that feel unjust and hearing those stories and I think for our staff centrally we have that sense of um that that being tiring but there's hope I think there's tremendous hope we we've seen the way people have stepped forward during this pandemic food banks just weren't prepared to stop even though there was no way like it's one of our um, food banks in Waterloo Rebecca who runs food bank there talked about this stubborn hope <laughs> stubborn <laughs> stubborn hope, hope. And I, when she said it, I remember thinking that is that's so true. Yeah. This stubborn hope—it's like persevering can, hope that things can change and will change and must change. Um, and then you see people responding to that, and people taking action, and people changing the way they live and work to protect one another. And that keeps you going. You think we, this this has got to change, and it can change, and and it will change. We will end the need for food banks. Doesn't need to be this way. Can I, so out of curiosity, um, Emma, uh, can I go to my cupboard at home and take out some food and deliver it to one of your food banks? So, uh, yes, pre-pandemic. Since the pandemic, there will be still yes, but there will be different ways. So if you look each of our food banks through our website, our central website, you can find your local food bank and it'll tell you the best way to get your food donations to that food bank. So it might be through a collection point um, that's outside of the food bank centre. It might be multiple different places you could go and donate it. You can also, if you're not taking it out your cupboard, but you're taking it out whilst you're doing your shopping, there'll be donation points within supermarkets. But there, there is for every food bank nearby to you, there'll be instructions on how you can get that food to them. But what you want ultimately is not for people to get given what other people have given away so they don't have a choice. It's better if they choose and they can have enough resources. Exactly, enough money in their pockets to go shopping. I think for for those of us who've raised children, you know what it's like trying to get your kids to eat stuff. Um, And you know what's best for your family. You know how best to manage your household finances. You know what's the most important, most pressing thing for your family that week. And and dignity is being able to make those decisions yourselves. So we want to absolutely not be having to provide emergency food, but for people to have enough cash in their pockets to make those decisions themselves. Emma, we pray for you and your colleagues at uh, the Trussell Trust. Pray that God gives you Uh, Three things, wisdom, patience and courage. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. Thank you so much for having me. 
thank you to Emma Reevey, CEO of the Trussell Trust. Well, I, I actually found that both educational and disturbing. And uh, I found it personally challenging. I'm sure you did as well. Let's pray. How can we respond with the love of Jesus to those in great need at this time? Thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media.